0: Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success.
1: Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Roundtable Show. This is episode 340. Um, we're recording this live at a slightly later time than normal, nine thirty Pacific Standard Time, on October the twenty-sixth. And I've got a, a great panel with a great special guest. Um, he's really blessed us with his um, time, and I, I think it's going to be a great discussion. And I've cho- I think I've chosen some reasonable stories, but I let the panel. Decide on that. Um, to start off, I'd like to introduce our special guest, which is Peter Rogers. Uh, Peter, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers?
2: Sure. Uh, so, um, I am a partner at BetaWorks Ventures, which is a seed fund based in uh, New York and San Francisco. I'm, I'm the one person in San Francisco. I have two partners in New York. And uh, we invest in um, sort of companies that are we think are helping define the future of how we interact with and through computers. And so, uh, historically, uh, we've uh, invested in uh, a lot of uh, uh, kind of social and mobile products. We were first checking into Tumblr, uh, investor in Kickstarter, investor in Medium, investor in Venmo. Uh, and then more recently with the fund, um, we've been investing a lot around podcasting. So we're investor in Anchor, uh, which uh, one of all three new podcasts are created using Anchor. Uh, we're very excited about what they're doing. Uh, and also around augmented reality, uh, voice interfaces and voice computing. Uh, and a new category we're calling synthetic media, where we're um, really excited about kind of uh, virtual celebrities and these sort of digital avatars and and um, new kinds of uh, uh, tools for democratizing creation of three D content.
1: All oh, right, there's a few people who like to make me avatar.
2: <laughs> well, there
1: we go. Um,
3: can do an
2: all-avatar version of this podcast. There, that. I think the
1: panel would prefer
2: that. Uh,
0: really? well, yes, I, I know, I know people who
2: would. Uh, you can get up uh, later that way, Jonathan.
1: There you go, exactly. Um, Sally, uh, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers?
3: Uh, certainly, I'm the avatar of WP Fangirl. And uh, I build uh, custom WordPress sites in Oakley, California. Uh, for people everywhere. And I organized the East Bay WordPress meetup in Oakland, California. And uh, we just had a meetup on Google Tag Manager. And next month, our own John Locke is giving us a presentation on SEO audits.
1: Unfortunately, John couldn't join us this today. He's having to take his wife to the hospital. Oh, dear. That's a little oh. bit more important, isn't it? Um, Spencer... Um, like to introduce himself to the listeners and viewers,
0: please, Spencer Foreman from WP Launchify, and we help entrepreneurs who are looking to launch a profitable WordPress membership site usually using the latest marketing automation tools
1: right we 're going to start with a story which i didn 't send to uh, Peter so it 's going to totally confuse him initially, but uh, he can f- he can think on his feet, so I apologize. <laughs> to start off with. It is linked to WordPress, Peter, with the, okay. the first story I sent you. And this is from um, this is from Moulton. Um, hopefully, you'll be, you will be joining us. And it's a blog. Um, WP Campus releases Gutenberg Accessibility Audit RFP. What do you think of this one, Spencer?
0: First comment from Nick. Beta 1 is a total disaster, unfortunately. We we've been beating this poor turkey to death and i think what's going to happen is this is like i will never talk politics politics but you know let's say if you've even heard of any politics lately a lot of promises that don't line up with reality such as like how could something happen if congress isn't in session well this is like why are we going to race to get this this thing to the like the real deal before thanksgiving when in fact it's such a difficult process you know team leaders leaving and so on and so forth so i feel like like the last time I was on the show, we I left you with the opinion. I'll, I'll reiterate it, which is I'm sort of chilling. All my clients and myself are all on that. Do not update me. Yeah. Stand by. I'm just going to wait to see what happens. Enjoy my turkey, and then if it doesn't happen, fine. It doesn't really change anything as long as they don't force feed it down anybody's throat. You
1: That's know, what it, I've been doing. I've been is it on every side? I suppose it's got to be. Uh, what do you reckon, Sally?
3: Well, I think it's terrific news that WP Campus stepped in to say yes. <clears throat> you know, we need that automa- <clears throat> We need that accessibility audit badly enough that we will pay for it ourselves if, if Automatic doesn't want to. Uh, it, you know, it's in line with their own needs because uh, right. they, they work with universities that have, you know, more stringent accessibility requirements than the average business website, and, and it has to be. You know, Peter, if you have not been following this controversy, because you know maybe there are more interesting things in your life,
2: um, I, di- I did see it on Hacker News, but it wasn't uh, the content. Right, so yes,
3: the, the issue is not that the content isn't exa- isn't accessible, but that a lot of parts of the new editor don't work well if you are a keyboard user or <clears throat> have v- visual disabilities and and so forth, yeah. and. Of course, if you're a government institution or a university uh, or a healthcare institution, you know you are required to have software that is accessible to use. Um, and so, uh, something that was proposed uh, and then knocked down was to have an outside team do an accessibility audit, point out where there are, uh, you know, serious issues that, that need to be addressed and and figure out how to fix them. Um, and the arguments really have to do with, you know, an, an insistence on releasing uh, WordPress 5.0 with this new editor in the core <clears throat> before that can be done, because you know, they want it out really, you know, before WordCamp US, so Matt can make a big speech about it. And yeah. um, uh, so you know, the schedule here says, you know, the accessibility audit wouldn't be done by that release date, but at least we know it's being done, uh, whereas before there was <clears throat> things were really up in the air. I, you know, I don't think this makes necessarily makes uh, automatic and the core team look better because somebody else is taking it on, but at least it is being done.
1: Yeah, I think that's great points, um, Peter. Um, I've got a question for you yeah. that's kind of related to this story. Automatic is on its fifth round of investment from its backers. Um, obviously, I don't know it's in, in the public knowledge how much Matt how how much this has diluted his actual share of Automatic. Um, when you're on your fifth round of investment, how much pressure do you think there is on the company that's been invested in to get? Uh, get a result on that investment, basically?
2: Uh, So it's usually pretty strong at that point. Um, I I always say that uh, one of the things that founders should be uh, mindful of is when uh, their investors have enough money uh, in the company that if the investment goes belly up, that it actually will materially impact performance of of their fund. And so... You know, we make investments. If we put a few hundred thousand dollars into a company and it doesn't perform, that's not the end of the world. Uh, I think, you know, we have a $50 million fund. So if we had something that was really growing and we had put, you know, three, four, five million dollars into it over the course of several years and then it went belly up, that would have a very strong impact uh, on our performance of the fund, especially because if we had invested that much, we were expecting that there is already a markup or a multiple on that return at least on on paper right so I think there there is pressure uh, to have an outcome I think where things start to get a little tricky is that uh, you know that sometimes the uh, um, you do have later investors who will buy out earlier investors and the later investors will have a different um, expectation around outcome than the early investors like if sometimes you'll have uh, for companies like this, private, private equity investors who will come in and buy out the earlier um, venture investors. And private equity investors aren't necessarily looking for um, you know, a venture-scale return. They might be looking for cash flow uh, related to the investment or, frankly, that maybe in you know, two years, uh, this company goes IPO and they can maybe double their money or, or somebody else, another private equity fund comes in and, and, and will buy, their, buy them out. So I think that the calculus gets slightly different. I think one of the other things around later stage investors and five in rounds of investment is you know it, it's it's mean that they're it's it's a pretty later stage business now. Um, oftentimes the last investors into a company will have a set of uh, preferences that um, puts them ahead of everybody else in terms of uh, uh, you know. So let's say that hypothetically speaking, I had a company that had raised. Um, uh, Say ninety million dollars at a billion dollar you know valuation or something like that, and I came in and I put in another uh, you know hundred million or something like that, one hundred ten million. So it make it worth one point five billion. I might have a liquidation preference on this. A little long winded. Sorry, but uh, I might have a liquidation preference on that one hundred ten million that said, okay, if the company gets bought, I get at least my money back before anybody else gets their money back, or maybe I get double my money back before anybody else their money back. So as long as the company's worth at least the value of the cash that you put into it, it's not a bad investment in a weird way. Uh, it's the early investors that end up getting screwed in, in those sorts of uh, scenarios. Yeah. So, so uh, financial stuff gets just trickier at this scale.
1: Yes. you know I'm only going by what's publicly reported. I, I think about $36 million was the last investment that was publicly stated in Automatic.
3: Well, isn't a lot of the investment coming from Mac? In, uh, in Audrey Capital and some of his other
0: stuff, odd crunch base right here. Um,
1: I don't actually know Crunchbase. that, Sally. Um, it just depends if that's a fact. He's invested in his own, but um, they say that wasn't the case. He wasn't invested in it from his own venture fund. He was getting it that thirty-six million um, from outside resources. What kind of outcome would people be really looking for with that kind of investment, Peter?
2: Well, I, I would say that um, three ten. There's it, like three hundred and ten, three hundred fifteen million bucks invested. Yeah, the the right. last round was uh, looks like it was um, uh, there was one hundred fifteen million at a one point. Well, that was a few years ago, though. Yeah, um, I think it, I think that uh, the expectation is going to be either a big acquisition or an IPO. Um, yeah. And like I said, I think at this stage, given how many years it's been since that last big round, it may be that. The next round of financing is, will be one where it's private equity ends up, um, you know, taking a, a big piece of uh, buying out the early investors. Um, I mean, that's certainly from my understanding what happened with the last round for uh, WP Engine, which was um, a lot yeah. of the early investors were, were and, and common shareholders were bought out. So
1: it, it, what uh, you're saying is it can be quite complicated. It,
2: it's view. not as clear cut at, no. at this stage. Um, and so uh, there's certainly pressure to get a return, but there are ways, like I said, for the earlier investors to cash out that take some can take some of that pressure off. Right.
1: I just, I want you to ask, because you're an expert on this, and uh, um, I just wanted to use your knowledge because um, I've put a synopsis, which doesn't, you know, I have no inside information, that because of the maturity of the business, that it it runs almost 30, above 30% of the internet, um the, um, the the spread of the investment, the time period. Um, I just thought that he could be under some pressure to actually get uh, the required result from his investment partners, really. But I have no inside information on that, and I'm probably totally wrong.
2: So mm-hmm. let's, <laughs> let's go on. Um, and I should say, I, you know, true true ventures. Uh, I share my last company shares uh, shared investors with Automatic, so oh. I, I, uh, I I know a lot of the uh, investors that uh, early on. Tio, right, Tio, right incidentally, small. world. <laughs> yeah, I'd
1: imagine it is. Uh, um, so on to the next story, um, number two. Um, I'm an Amazon employee, and my company shouldn't sell facial recognition tech. <sighs> to the police. Uh, um, what did you think of this one? This guy was Spencer again. What did you think of this one, Spencer?
0: <laughs> and I, this is one of the times where I wish Morton was here. He might have already known this, but I'm wondering first of all, how did they come up with the name Recognition with the K? Was that designed to intentionally force a, you know, a 1980s Russian espionage feeling to this whole thing because if you look at it in sort of hindsight, it's either a thumb in the eye, or it was one of those accidents that somebody was ha ha at the time, and now it really looks much worse than it probably did when they came up with it. So that was the first impression. The second thing is that I really see a pattern going on, you know, let's say in our society in general across the globe, and thats that is that there is a tug of war going on between the even with you know Bernard Lee's and everything else with reinventing Internet too, tug of war between the best intentions of the naive you know, granola munching wonderful people that started this whole adventure and the corporate interests and political ties that are now pulling it in a different direction. And I think it's really up to everybody internally to a company as well as externally to be brave enough to say stuff like this. Now, obviously, this person was smart enough not to put their name on it, but apparently they got vetted by, you know, Medium's editor to be, it's not fake news. I think this is where we're at in our society. It's that we have a choice. If it goes too far, it turns into the Minority Report movie or it turns into Terminator 2. If we say enough is enough or we split off or we bifurcate, I think there's a chance that at least we can mitigate the, the way that this happens so fast. So in this particular case, I applaud the person who wrote the article. I do believe, I've said it before, that Jeff Bezos, to me, I know him not other than in writing, seems to be a benevolent type of a person because from his origin story and everything else, if you compare him to some of the other mega billionaires and you know, look at Larry Ellison and look at Jeff Bezos, I don't look at Jeff Bezos like he's trying to control the world type of a person, even though he has more money. So it will be, it will be seen what happens. But we talked about Facebook last week. The idea that I would ever put in that Facebook device with a camera and a microphone in my house No way. I don't trust Facebook. I do have Amazon Alexa. I'm a little perturbed about the idea that if they had some device that I chose to use because I have everything else on Amazon, that I was pulled over at a toll booth because my face matched and I got mistaken. That would kind of piss me off and it might be very scary. In fact, I've had that happen, not exactly, but in other ways where I've been mistaken for somebody else through some other extraordinary set of circumstances. And I think it's really hard because... The authorities will not sit there and spend a lot of time questioning whether you match or not. They'll just be like, you match, you're going to jail, or you match, I'm you know, cuffing you, or you match, and something worse is going to happen.
1: Yeah, I'm going to put this to Peter, but I just want to put this to you, Peter, first. Yeah. Um, fundamentally, um, the reason I put this story in is that recently, um, how big tech is seen has changed over the past year dramatically. Um I understand that um, Amazon, what is not widely known is that uh, the the big profit um, center for Amazon is not its retail um, selling, it's selling cloud services to the government. That's its profit center. Well,
2: it, cloud services in general, I think uh, they do sell to the government. But I think AWS in general is a, is a big profit center for them plus
3: all plus all of their technology for for things like you know showing related items and
1: mm-hmm. right so um but didn't um snowden show that um the relationship um the other question I want to put to you is through snowden's um, um oh, i'm looking for the right word revelation revelations <laughs> yeah. thank you um Basically, the um, relationship between big tech, between Google, Amazon, Facebook, and the American government is very much tighter than most people believe. And is that one of the reasons why antitrust um, regulation has not been applied to some of these large tech companies, Peter?
2: You know, I I don't have a sense that um, that the antitrust stuff is not because um, of what cooperation they may or may not have with sort of you know NSA information collection I would say that um, it's I think it has to do with a broader trend where um, you know corporations big corporations in general have been remarkably access- successful in terms of lobbying and, and you know regulatory capture and being able to um, uh, you know convince Washington that they should not uh, be as uh, heavily regulated or, or have antitrust regulations uh, enforced. Um, you know, my feeling about this, uh, just having, you know, someone who, you know, follows the space very closely and, you know, looks at a lot of kind of applied computer vision companies uh, and, you know, has a, a I think a, a pretty good understanding of the technology and where it's going at this point is that I don't think we should rely on, um, companies or employees at big companies to do the right thing, so to speak here. I think that if we care about uh, privacy on a society-wide level, then we should have, um, this should be something that is regulated at at the federal level. Um, And and I think that is really the best way to do this. Because if Amazon doesn't do this, frankly, somebody else will. And I don't think that, um, I think companies are in the business of making money. And I think that governments are in the business of um, you know, fostering the public good. And if our privacy collectively is a public good, which I believe it is, then that should be kind of, you know, um, protected through, you know, regulation. Now, I know that it's a little kind of Pollyannish right now to expect, you know, the federal government to be, you know, um, forward thinking or, or even, uh, um, you know, um, good, you know, protectors of the public interest right now. But I do feel that, you know, that long term, that is the best way for us to do this is for the, you know, we do need to, have, it's like in, in Europe with the EU, they instituted GDPR. Uh, you know, in California, they've pa- passed laws um, around protecting digital privacy. And I think that, um, you know, if we don't want there to be a federal database of everyone's, you know, p- facial characteristics in it, uh, then we should have a regulation for that because a private company, pri- Facebook already has that information, right? They just choose not to license it to anybody, but they could. Um, there isn't really anything stopping them. And you I'm know, sure I,
3: they would if the price was right.
2: It's, it's certainly possible. I think that right now the reason they don't do it is because the last thing they need is another privacy, <laughs> uh, you know, scandal. Um, but, you know, I quit Facebook eight and a half years ago. Um, in part because oh yay,
3: another not Facebook user
2: yeah I quit a long time ago and I was I was incredibly I never
3: uncomfortable started
2: with the privacy I I, I wish i had never started uh, you know I was incredibly uncomfortable with the way that they treated you know data and whether you know things being public versus private and you know ultimately to kind of circle back to my you know my main point is I think that we as you know have to think of ourselves as not just consumers but as citizens and have to demand um, you know, again, forward thinking regulation around, you know, this and a lot of other things, frankly, related to, you know, technology and the impact that's going to have on our lives. Like I said, businesses are in the business of, they're they're there to make money. And that's the way it should work. But we should not be afraid to put constraints on their ability and create a, you know, single playing field for everybody.
1: That's great. Sally, as a study of history like myself, uh, um, isn't, isn't it, quite disturbing that obviously history doesn't repeat itself, but echoes do have similarity. And the way big business was linked to Italian fascism and to German Nazism, the corporate um, linkage to both, isn't it quite clear we're going down a similar road in 2018?
3: I don't know if I want to touch that particularly. I mean, it, it, <clears throat> the, are there echoes of uh, yes? Uh, there certainly are. Uh, how much big business might be uh, to blame for that is is something else. I mean, I, I think that
1: or big tech. I should have said really. Peter
3: sure. has, has made a, a a good point that you know if we don't want a uh, law enforcement misusing technologies like these, then we do need you know, to pass laws that restrict the way that they can use.
1: That was Facebook, actually.
3: Uh, no, <laughs> uh, that, that we can, you know, that law enforcement and, and other people can use them uh, because, yes, if, if Amazon doesn't choose to build it, somebody else will. Um, and I did think it was hilarious that I saw an, an ad for uh, Amazon AI uh, on the story as I was reading it. <coughs> it um, But, you know, what worries me more than having law enforcement use a technology like this uh, is the fact that, you know, we've seen there are some really serious issues with facial recognition and how bad it is, particularly at correctly identifying people of color. And I don't want, you know, I I don't want them using technology that doesn't work, that's going to lead, you know, that's going to uh, probably, you know, produce... Uh, more acts of police brutality, you know, based on mistaken identity, not that it's a good thing if it isn't based on mistaken identity. Uh, And then there's also the question that comes up of, okay, well, if you don't want them selling it to law enforcement, who are you envisioning having them sell it to? Uh, You know, what, what are the uses of facial recognition technology that would be you know, appropriate.
2: Well, I, I can give you an example of one, um, which is actually used in, um, uh, there is uh, banks uh, in New York, for example, are starting to use it to um, recognize people who have a history of passing um, bad checks. And so um, they, you know, it's there, you can, there are examples of, you know, there are say positive examples, um, you know, assuming that the, inf- that it's accurate, but um, you know, I have seen examples of people using it for, uh, you know, for that to kind of identify, you know, potential bad actors coming into a space, people with shoplifters and things like that. So like on retail side. Right.
3: Well, uh, which, I mean, it, which again is security. And, you know, this is yeah, the thing yeah. is a bank should be allowed to engage in some security and and keep, you know, we know they have cameras in there, we know. Uh, but so, it, you know, is it a terrible thing if law enforcement uses this or is it just a matter of well how they use it you know or how anybody uses it could be. <clears throat> I,
0: I would I want to make a point that I have a background I'm an attorney and I did a lot of antitrust stuff in my early career and also um about how things are used. The pain point that we have for this is that the genie's out of the bottle. This stuff is around. I tend to lean towards Peter's point of view, which is we can definitely not trust a corporate interest to babysit themselves. On the other hand, at the governmental level, we've seen many examples of how the military industrial complex works or how big government takes advantage of their private contract because government is run by elected officials who have clearly a financial interest in remaining in power by being funded by these powerful wealthy people. So where the safety nets always exist is that the people have to mandate that, for example, if this technology exists and it's used as the presumption of, let's say, you've done something wrong, that a process exists for somebody to easily exonerate themselves by demonstrating some evidence to the contrary, rather than disappearing into the black hole of, I don't know any better. For example, I had the pleasure of being friends with a guy whose father was one of the founders of Fair Isaac, you know, FICO, We used to hang out in the 90s before FICO became the thing that made or broke your happiness if you were ever wanting to get a loan. Now, if your FICO score is screwed up, good luck fixing your life easily. You just go into you are a deadbeat and prove to me otherwise. Well, imagine if you're pulled off the side of the road or in an airport and you go into some kind of hellish prison. There needs to be a safety net in the way that it's used by a government or anybody else, even a bank that says, if we think you're a bad guy, here's step A, B, C. If you produce these things to prove otherwise, you don't have to wait six years in a Turkish prison to prove that you're innocent, Billy, and that's it. Because otherwise, we're, we're really looking at a minority report sort of draconian future for us because government's lazy. No offense. Police departments are lazy if they can be. If they have a tool that the officers could just pull over anybody, oh, you're guilty. Sorry. Talk to the judge. It will happen that way. And it happens that way now when you get pulled over for a speeding ticket and the state trooper gives you five tickets and I'm an attorney. They say, go prove it to the judge. And you got to hire your attorney. You got to go to court. You got to do all the things only to have them say, OK, fine. Yeah, you're right. See you later.
2: Yeah. You know happen- what? The things that, you know, it, it, it gets even it gets messy even when you're not dealing with the government. I mean, I was, um, you know, I have an app on my phone which marks um, inbound callers as whether they're spam callers or not or callers. And um, it's a private... Would I, would I
1: be marked as a spam caller, Pia? I'm sorry? Would I be marked as a spam caller? Well, here's the question,
2: right? Because, uh, you know... <laughs> after this, private, after this going will be moving. Right? Uh, and they're basically just taking uh, data that people are... Flag- when people are getting calls and flagging them, you know, collectively. Right. And so let's say that I decided to set up a VoIP number and spoof the caller ID so that it was, you know, that it was your number, Jonathan. And I started calling thousands of people. They saw, you know, a lot of them have the app. They start marking you as spam. And all of a sudden, next time you try to call people, your calls are going to spam or not being completed. Uh, well, and people don't people talk like to you to fix that. You know what I mean? It's, it's And I think that that is where, um, you know, things get increasingly complex where uh, there are, you know, I think one of the things that, you know, not that there was a lot of good that came out of the 2016 election, but I think that uh, one of the things that's, that, that was positive, at least, is that we're having a much better understanding of how vulnerable our systems are to manipulation. And that, um, you know, whether it's manipulation of, of information or whether, you know, around its distribution. Uh, but I think that we have a lot of these hidden systems, like this spam call database, which, of course, there are multiple ones, but if who do you even appeal to? Who do you even right. get in contact with? And, and um, when
0: the AI takes in, because I saw how you know Google's new technology allows, let's say, an AI to call an AI if there are ba- databases that have this. What a perfect black hat technique to screw up all your competitors! Just yep. turn your AI robots out to pretend that they're your competitor, and now we've got this. What you know, do you want? You know, robot wars of who's in? You know, who's I, a bad I, actor?
2: People have done that to yeah, screw up Google rankings, right? Like they right. started posting spam, you know. Uh, with links to their competitors to get them flagged in Google. This is, Uh, by
0: the way, Peter, where your virtual reality actress is. Imagine when you're simulating with the face of Jonathan, him doing a hit and run on a sidewalk. You got the video, you post it up.
3: You got the deep fakes, right? He's in the database.
0: They go pick him up up. at the airport next time he's going off to Europe. We never see him again. And then John takes over the show for Jonathan. Yeah. (laughs) You know, is, that, is that your
1: problem. preferred outcome, isn't it?
0: <laughs> isn't it? Let's face
1: it.
2: Be nice. We've got yeah. it in for you. I didn't know there was such a power struggle over being host of this show. <laughs> <laughs> there we, we just
3: like to wind Jonathan up. because
1: it's, <laughs> like, it's so easy, Peter. It's so, so easy, Peter, to wind me up. Uh, um, I think uh, <laughs> I think we're going to go for a break and give Peter a minute to recover while he came <laughs> on here on this bloody thing. All uh, right, right. We'll be back in a few moments, folks.
0: Do you want to spend more time making money online? Then use WP Tonic as your trusted WordPress developer partner. They will keep your WordPress website secure and up to date, so you can concentrate on the things that make you money. Examples of WP Tonic's client services are landing pages page layouts, widgets, updates and modifications. WP Tonic is well known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with full no question asked 30-day money back guarantee. So don't delay, sign up with WP Tonic today. That's wp-tonic.com. Just like the podcast.
1: We're coming back. I need to mention one of my great sponsors. I forgot to do it before we went for our break, folks, but I'm keeping you on your toes anyway, folks, so you don't just move. Right, so one of our great sponsors is Kinsta Hosting. And what is Kinsta? Kinsta is WordPress hosting on steroids. Um, They only host WordPress websites. They host the WP Tonic website. They're big enough to have all the technology you're looking for, but small enough to still care. And um, basically, they offer staging sites, one click backup, great support, amazing support. And they're just terrific. And if that's really interesting to you, go to the WP Tonic site. There are um, some affiliate banners on there. You, you will be helping the show as well if you use those. And I can't praise them high enough. Go and find out more about Kinster Hosting. So on to the next story. Um, oh God! <laughs> on to one of Peter's favourites. Uh, why we abandoned Facebook video longer than two minutes, and uh, I um, obviously the crew from Social Media Examiner, um, top people. Um, And I was a bit shocked, um, and I'm thinking about my own strategy. I'm going to start with Spencer, Grant. I'm picking on Spencer, but I just can't... um, What did you... I thought it was... It it seems like a kind of small story, but actually,
0: it's it's really interesting, actually. I think this is a a relative story to most people who are doing stuff to promote themselves. First of all, love Michael Stelzner. I love yeah. how he's hanging he loose. Co-
1: he, comes wow. it, he He's a straight talker, isn't he?
0: Well, it's just like I love he's hanging out in his T-shirt and he's just like talking to you like a real person. But the takeaway from this is really simple, and I've experienced this myself. Right tool, right job. Right tool, right audience. Right message for the right person. Facebook, again, I'm in Peter's camp, and I'm kind of like, like I only use it for business and even then begrudgingly, and I have a community of some pilots that use. But otherwise understand people's attention span on there is like a blink of an eye and he's just come up and said, guess what? I love the metaphor. I use it all the time. You got a billboard on the highway. People are not screeching to a halt to stop and read, you know, the fine print on your billboard. So don't put a YouTube type of long form video on Facebook because people are on the toilet or in the subway or on the way to their, clean up their babies, you know, vomiting all over the house, like uh, parents like us have done. They're just doing it to entertain themselves in between something else." YouTube has lots of things available. And in fact, ironically, one of the best ones is old school. You know, YouTube allows you in search results to put ad results up at the top. Those are regular YouTube promoted ads. Those are very effective for educational purposes without being interruptive inside of somebody else's video. But that's where people will actually sit down and go, you know what? I'm looking for an answer. I want to be taught. I have the time and patience to sit here and watch this and consume it. So I think this is probably one of the best stories and best tips we could ever give because most of the listeners here are probably doing things wrong. They're just not really clear where and how to spend any kind of PPC dollars or any kind of marketing dollars. This is good advice. I think
1: there's a, there's two other parts to this, Spencer. There's the part that I'll probably be changing my own strategy because I've, I've just pushed this to Facebook. Probably in future future episodes, I won't be. I'll be pushing it to YouTube live. The other thing is that there was a more. There's even a more serious part to this story. Is that um, it seems that Facebook has been given um, incorrect data to some of its major advertisers, and they have been sued by some of their most major advertisers for um, for defraudment, basically they, they they are charging Facebook that they gave them art artificially inflated video viewing figures for over 18 months. What what do you think about that, Spencer? Well,
0: what you remind me of is one of the notes in the comments David Kilkelly brings up about, you know, what about Facebook Watch, blah, blah, blah. And somebody rightfully points out, oh, Michael actually responds back, he says, nobody's going to pay to to be on Facebook Watch. So if they're using, let's say, statistical data that says how many views you're going to get by doing, you know, Facebook video versus something else, and they include data from a locked platform that you have to be a subscriber to that would be exemplary of what you're talking about is that who really is the auditor of these facts. It's not like they have an independent, you know, clearing that's going to come in and audit their books. I think that the statistics are inside of your Google analytics data. They're inside of your own other metrics that show I've seen this myself. If I put some kind of 20 minute video to teach somebody anything, if I put it on YouTube, I see similar results. I get, you know, that kind of slowly bleeds off and then the end drops off. If it's on Facebook, They're gone, like, in 50 seconds, like one of those car movies. So that's it. You don't have to know how many people are watching if everybody's leaving quick.
1: It sounds like my dates, they just go. I know.
0: It's like a coffee date versus uh, something
1: else. There you go. Um, Sally, what did you think of this? Uh,
3: Yeah, it doesn't surprise me uh, that Facebook video, although, you know, everybody was rushing to Facebook video, and, and video does play a part in on Facebook but yeah if if, you know if watch is something that only a few people are being selected for then you know you're not necessarily likely to get your stuff on there Um, and if you've got something going in the feed now you know it's going to depend there may be a time when you know if you've got a group that's a very active group and you're showing a video in that and and, you know maybe it's live and people are interacting with you that's going to be different uh, and it's going to depend very specifically on on who you are and who your audience is but i think uh trying to get a, a video that's you know basically any longer uh than an animated gif is um, uh, to, to uh, you know to to get any retention when it's you know whipping past somebody in their in their feed seems sort of unlikely
1: all right um peter how much, how much bad news can a company, to even a very, 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 very profitable company, how much bloody bad news can it take before it will affect the profitability and future of that company?
2: Well, I mean, this is one where in- unless the average person stops using Facebook or significantly cuts back the amount of time they use it, um, you know, people will put up with a lot. Uh, frankly. And and I think that, um, I think we've seen historically that um, there can be inflection points where all of a sudden people will kind of turn against the company or dump it uh, very quickly. But Facebook is so deeply embedded with, uh, you know, in the lives of so many people that it, it is really hard uh, to, to get rid of. It has now become the operating system for, you know, a great number of people's social lives and the way that they manage and keep track of their relationships with their friends and family. Um, you know, one of the things and I, I, wish I could credit to this to the person who uh, first said it, but uh, somebody called Facebook a, um, a machine for doing emotional labor. <laughs> um, so instead of having to, or something like, so, you know, it's a paraphrase, but, but instead of act- actually having to put the work of, uh, into relationships with your friends and family, you sort of use Facebook as a convenient substitute um, or maybe not substitute the right word, but a way to, um, yeah you know, do a lot, offload a lot of that, uh, that heavy lifting for you. Uh, And so, um, I, I think that, uh, you know, people don't necessarily want to give that up. And I think also for a lot of people, it is entertaining. And I think one of the reasons why we use Facebook and Instagram and Twitter so much is that, um, people are bored and it gives you a way to not be bored for a couple minutes. Um, maybe you're not watching a video for those couple minutes, but, uh, you know, you're cruising through your, your feed. But it's hard for people to give up those kinds of habitual uh you know things. And so um I mean it's like smoking I how like you know how hard it was it for people to it took decades. People knew for decades that smoking is bad for you. And it's I mean I'm just amazed when I still I'm amazed when I see anyone smoking in San Francisco. Uh what is it that
3: you're amazed you see them smoking in San Francisco? <laughs>
2: Pardon? <laughs> oh, we smoking see. cigarettes.
3: Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> because there's plenty of people smoking in uh, San Francisco. Yeah, I meant smoking cigarettes.
1: Yeah. Yeah, right. Well, I, I love that. That was a good point. Uh, yeah, I,
3: I think we do need to be careful, Jonathan, about the difference between public sentiment and customer satisfaction. I, I was listening yeah. to a show yesterday that said, you know, a company had done – extensive studies of, you know, 4,000 of their actual customers in terms of their satisfaction on a bunch of different points and how they feel about the company and so on, and compared them to the sentiment analysis of how people were talking about them on social media. And and the two had almost nothing in common. Uh, And that, you know, as a company, you you need to be aware that, you know, uh, people may be Uh, you know, kicking up a a fuss and a scandal on social over some particular thing, whether that's your new logo design or or your, you know, choice of spokesperson uh, for a commercial. But that may or may not have anything at all to do with, uh, you know, what your earnings are. I mean, look, United's earnings went up. I mean, not like immediately, but they went up the quarter after that business of you know getting the guy beat
1: up and right you're making a fantastic point there. it's a bit like um i will never i will never bank with wells fargo ever uh i but i'm perplexed at why people still bank with those cockroaches uh, uh but there we go sorry peter you probably uh, got investments in wells fargo oh, no don't. no i left wells fargo
2: a long time oh. ago.
1: All right,
3: there you go. Yeah, uh, I, I left them because they were a terrible bank. Never yeah, they were terrible. <laughs> long before they the
2: yeah. warranty. But, but yeah. you know, I, I think that, you know, part of it is, is one reason why people will dump a company is when um, there is a social cost to continuing to be the customer. And I don't think there is a social cost to being a Facebook user. I don't think anybody... I mean, as bad as Facebook right. is, right? No,
3: nobody's going to refuse to date you because you. Use yeah,
2: them. exactly, and, and I and I think that nobody it, it doesn't carry that baggage. Um, whereas I think that there are definitely businesses now where, um, you know, have become sort of toxic for one you know side politically or, or another. I mean, like the Nike stuff, right? Like if you uh, if you wear Nikes and your family is or you know Trump supporting Republicans, and you go to Thanksgiving wearing them, like you know. You may rethink that decision, right?
3: <laughs> yeah, you might, but the, but their earnings are doing just fine too. So yeah.
2: no, no, there. I'm saying I don't. But I'm just giving an example of how you know people abandon companies when there is a, a. And I actually do see a little bit of social pressure within my circle of sort of you know, and you know, investors and founders and things like that to not use face, not use Facebook. It certainly. Sure. Um, you know, but there's just, not to, like
1: just to finish it off, Peter. To, um, just to finish off this before we go on to our next and probably last um, story is is it is its face as Facebook to be fair has Facebook been just a little bit unlucky because or is it a bad a consequence of basically bad decisions from the higher management and also a, a total focus on making as much money as possible. Or is it a mixture
2: of all three? I think the fundamental premise of the entire business is flawed. <laughs> is
1: that bad, do you reckon, do yeah. you? Yeah, I, I, I don't think, I,
2: like, I, I don't think that it's, um, I, I don't think it's uh, reconcilable at this point. Like, I, I think that the entire company is oriented around a certain, um, you know, type of, of uh, product. Um, and And I think that it's, not something that they're, you know, very easily, you know, like it, it is the core of what they do. Uh, and, I, and I don't think that these are, are things that they, um, uh, like, I, I don't think that, that it was just like they got unlucky. I think that like, um, you know, violating people's privacy is the core of, 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 you know, of the business. Right. And so I think that there's not really a way to, to you know, to get around that on some level. Oh, that, that, I, 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 I want to throw a hat in on this one.
0: I think the nature of this problem stems from its origins of the dirty word freemium. And I lived another life because I'm, you know, back when when I moved from the real world to trying something in tech for the first time. And I was out there during the days of the freemium. And the freemium model had a premise of, Spend a lot of money to acquire a bunch of people to gather into what could have been your, let's say, closed silo, and then we'll figure out how to make money from them later. Obviously, we know the origins of Facebook started in the campus. But when you get people in that situation, it's not like the real world where if I open up a hot dog stand, I have to sell a hot dog that people will pay me for from day one or else the stand will close before it grows into this thing. If you have enough money to give free hot dogs out for 20 years, you realize like, Shit, we have to support feeding all these billion people by doing something. What are we going to do? Everybody, let me see your driver's license for a second. I got a photocopier back here. I I, I know some people that need some driver's licenses. That's the problem. The problem is the investors got so far so deep in growing this thing based upon a freemium model that it was only later that it occurred to everybody, well, we really have to double down. Google's problem was a little different because Google started with the discovery very early on of how much money they were making from search results. But even that evolved from their original motto. And we've had these conversations every week here about do do was instead of do no evil, it's now do some good instead of just doing all evil. Like it's going to be now instead of Google, it's going to be in Chinese or something on the top because they've lost their way. From what it started to be, which was a very egalitarian kind of communal granola, Northern California feeling of like, hey, cool, hang out with my friends and whatever. Now we've reached the point where I go back to my original point, not to say it's Orwellian, but we have a choice. I think the, the needle has swung. We've seen what it could be like if the corporations get in control. And many people are saying, it's not so cool. Let's start doing grassroots stuff again and living in little, you know, outplacements of people who are protesting against the way things are.
3: Well, I, w- I would disagree to the point that I don't think Facebook started out with a freemium model because the idea of a freemium model is that you have a free product and you have a paid product to upgrade to, and you are moving people on that path. The problem is Facebook started without a business model at all.
0: That, I that is, think, I would argue, the, we've, the nature we've got, of freemium. We've got all
3: these people here. There has to be a way to make money from them.
0: Yes, but that my point is that they they had the investor's money, and their only purpose in the early days was not a clear-cut, how do I make money to survive, which is the necessity of any entrepreneur or business in the real world, the physical world. You can't simply, unless you have a rich uncle, just stay open selling hot dogs or cookies for free. You have to sell them to make profit. And when you had that Silicon Valley mindset of the early 2000s, where it was, hey, just Spend enough money to get enough people. We'll figure out what to do with these people. That's where I think the origin story of this trouble arises. Because now the invest we were talking about earlier in the show. Now this, hey, I gave you $100 million. And hey, you promised me something would happen. And like, what are you going to do? And the founder is like scratching his head. I don't know. Let's uh, take some pictures of these people and sell them or something. Yeah. No ad- I fair, I mean,
2: ad-supported media has a very long history in, you know, in this country. Um, and so I, I, I don't think it was... Um, Necessarily um, bound to you know end up in the place that it ended up, but yeah, you did all right. you did all right out of it, didn't you? But yeah, <laughs> I, I've been okay with an ad based business for the business um, <laughs> you know, uh, a few times, uh, and um, you know I, I I think that what what becomes challenging is that um, as these businesses become so big and so and scale, there ends up being this sort of winner takes all effect around each category, and so I think fifteen years ago, the idea that I think most people thought. There will either be there will be lots of different social networks, right? And Facebook will be sort of one of many, and and there will be this sort of competitive effect, and <laughs> but these will kind of help keep things in check. Um, you know, it ends up that you know the internet has this this effect of of usually there being one really big winner, and then maybe like a smaller, much smaller second player, and then kind of nobody else. Yeah. And I think we see this around search, we see this around uh, social. You know, we see this kind of over and over. In, you know, in various categories, and I think that that is. Uh, um, You know, when we talk about kind of these monopolistic effects, it becomes much harder to keep issues around privacy and data security and and things like that in check. Um, You know, the one thing I will say is that, you know, Google and Facebook having really high quality data around its users has enabled a lot of small and medium sized businesses to grow and develop over the past 10 years. Mm -hmm. I mean, you were able to, uh, you know, get to the right people in a very cost effective way uh, in, in a, in a manner that was entirely impossible, you know, 15 or 20 years ago. Uh, and, um, and so I, you know, I I don't want to sit here and say, well, it's, everything has been bad for everybody. I think that if you are, again, a small business who through, you know, really highly targeted, affordable, you know, Instagram ads has been able to build a, a, you know, a comfortable business selling your artisanal candles or something like that. Um, you know, it hasn't been all negative for you. Um, and I think that you know balancing that out is is you know it's tricky. But again, this is why I think that it ends up having to ha- having to happen at the at the regulatory side, um, so that we kind yeah. of balance the interests of you know business and 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 citizens.
1: Well, let's just wrap up with one more story, and then we call it a day. Um, Peter's getting bored, but there we go. No, no, no this uh, is
2: I, I
0: could talk. About well, this. I, I want to ask Peter something. By the way, before yeah. like Peter in fact, because again big fan of Engadget and Gizmodo, but the Dang. idea was you never collected the data from people no. just looking at ads. The difference is I enjoyed reading your content because it was valuable, but I never felt even if I typed a comment in when those were possible on any you know online magazine, that you were all of a sudden going to be in my you know backyard looking in my window, whereas these other ones, the social network. Oh, absolutely.
2: And, so. I, and I'll tell you what broke. Um, mm-hmm. I've actually written about this. What happened was, that 15 years ago, when I started, I started Gizmodo in 2002, I started Engage in 2004. At the time, the way that you targeted advertising was to buy ads on uh, a property that was um, an endemic, you know, had de- content endemic to the category. So if you were a consumer electronic, if you were Sony, you wanted to be on. Uh, consume, you know, gadget blogs and CNET and thing, and Wired and things like right.
3: that. Right. The, the same way, you know, I've 10, 15 years before that, you would have been advertising in PC Magazine. And
2: yeah. So what happens at programmatic advertising platforms, they they severed or uncoupled the relationship between the publisher and the advertiser. So all of a sudden, because I was able to track users across the web why should I pay a big premium? I mean, and in Gadget, we charge you know, a premium CPM, right? As you'd expect, because we consider ourselves to be premium content. And so, um, you know, why pay the $20 CPM or $10 CPM to be on in Gadget when you can pay a $0.75 CPM to, you know, hit them on, hit the, that same reader or user on the next site that they go to, which might be, you know, some, you know, bottom of the barrel, you know, forum site or something like that, or clickbait site. And I think that that ends up, once you rupture the relate and then, and then once you layer in Facebook and Twitter as the, um, uh, as the distribution for content, the way that people are discovering content, rather than just going directly to websites, you have this almost complete uncoupling of the relationship between the reader and the publisher and the advertiser and the publisher. And so those two things combined as, um, yeah, you know, I, I think meant that the only way to for publishers to stay competitive was to use these highly targeted um, you know, ad ba- you know, platforms that that, uh, that were, were on offer, which uh, you know the alternative was to basically go out of business I think for most I
0: for mean marketing time. automation is the to my mind 's eye the future, but even when you do it on the website based thing, there is this sort of nefarious question to ask oneself, which is to what extent do we want to make people like look into the mirror and say We are going to deliver you a personalized experience and journey through your website if you agree that we're going to know so much about you and keep track of it. And it's really one of those things that I don't have the good answer because the definitive results are in that it works, but in a sort of like borderline creepy way that, you know, ad roll is one thing. But when you go on somebody's website and they already know exactly what to show you and it's different than your friend gets, you realize like, hey, everybody knows everything about me. So I think it is ultimately a question, not so much that the tech is here, it's here. And yeah, it does yeah. change businesses, but it's that, okay, to what to what extent can we not make people insane with every website has the same notice that says, do you agree to a cookie? Do you agree to be marketing automation? Because that's as silly as red and white safety. Yeah, it doesn't problem. solve the problem. But just to like make a global thing that says, we're all going to behave in a certain way, given that we know that this tech is here. And then to a certain extent, if you get caught on the wrong end of it, again, who knows? Safety net exists, Right. You don't have to worry about being like floating on the ocean by yourself. And
1: yeah. Right. On to our final story, um, which is Superhuman, your inbox rebuilt. And the reason I put this in, obviously, your um, I'm gonna throw this to Peter first. The Why I put this in, Peter, is that um it seems a cool product. It's got an established team, and also your friend Jason um gave it a big plug. He's giving it a couple of big plugs. Yeah, uh and he's an investor in it. But um if they had come, maybe maybe you would have looked at it because of the team behind it and their track record. But
2: he- I actually I tried to get in touch with them. I have to. did you? And yeah. they did
1: Was you on their spam list on their phone? Was you, Peter? <laughs> uh, no,
2: I mean I, I tried to find. <laughs> oh no, yeah, no, I know, um, oh, I know. I, right. I think they had already raised their seed round, so it was
1: too late for us. But um, I had reached. Oh, out. They made a big mistake there. They should yeah. for your intellectual ability. But there we go. But you can't have good taste all the time. Uh, um, but but um, but oh, so but would you be a little bit concerned because they they seem to be going into a very competitive sector, don't they? Uh, yeah. So I, yes, and I
2: think that it's interesting to 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 think about, is this a venture scale business or is this more of a, a life? I hate to use the word lifestyle business, but I think that they charge $30 a month for the product. So they don't have to get that many subscribers to make a lot of money. I mean, you can make, you could get a, a you know, 10,000, uh, you know, subscribers and, and, and you're making, uh, you know, uh, $300,000 a month, right? uh, for the business. And so, um, we get a hundred thousand subscribers and you're making $3 million a month. So I I don't think it's trivial to get people to pay $30 a month for email. um, when most people are used to paying zero for it or maybe $5 or $10 a month or, you know, sort of a corporate account. Um, uh, so I think it will be, the question to me is sort of, you know, how big is the market for $30 a month email? And I don't know the answer to it. Uh, I would say that, um, you know, if they are, once they are able to kind of get past the waiting list and, um, uh, you know, open, open it up to uh, the public, then it becomes a question of how much do they need to spend to get someone to sign up for the, for a year of this uh, or to, you know, to become a, a subscriber. And so, you know, when you charge $30 a month for something, you can, you all know this, I mean you can afford to spend some money on marketing. Um,
3: Uh, Yeah, I mean, it sounds like they could be, they could be tidally uh, profitable. And the only thing is that, you know, they, eh, it might not be a good idea to set themselves up where they're trying to get the kinds of of money and the kinds of returns that would require them to have a really massive uh, user base.
2: Yeah. I think that you know there's a big difference between being a, bill, a business that can get to 10 million dollars a month a year and a business that can get to 100 million dollars.
1: Yes, but Peter Jason's already calculated he'd be, he'd be able to buy his new Tesla yes, <laughs> with with his investment, doesn't he? You know, there we go, you know.
2: Yeah, it's it's got to be uh, true it's got to be uh, reality now, isn't it? I mean one of the things about about I will say about seed investing is you kind of have to um you have to make these decisions not knowing the answer. And so and you take the risk and uh, you kind of see, well, could it be something that goes, you know, is this a, is this a million dollar a year business, a $10 million a year business or a hundred million dollar a year business? And I think it's definitely above a million. I think it's probably, you can see it get a path to 10, the path to a hundred is harder, but again, not impossible. And I think there are lots of businesses that, um, there are a lot of businesses that, that you would have thought how big could this get? Uh, but then there are a bunch which, uh, obviously, you know, when as a venture investor, I mean, I expect that most of my investments are not going to perform. That's kind of the point. Um, uh, not, I mean, the point is to make money, but the point is that, like, we have to take risks and um, be prepared to be wrong. And if we always knew the answer to every question, then um, there wouldn't be any venture part of it. It would just be, you know, buy some bonds or something.
1: Yeah. Um, Spencer, the, um, the pit, the two main pitches with it, well, the main pitch seems to be their pitch for this project is the speed gain you're going to get. It's the fastest inbox. And I could, I, I, I go with it, um, but I've I, I got to be truthful. I wasn't totally bought by that argument, not a hundred, you know, to the size that they seem to be pitching it at. The main thing seemed to be their UX design, you know, that it, the actual experience of using it is going to be a lot more pleasant, and most, you know, Google webmail and a lot of other mail services, especially on mobile, is dreadful experience. Do you think that's the big, that's the real big thing that they're selling in? this a uh, uh, really fantastic UX design?
0: Well, I have I have experience of a pain point that is solved by using a certain type of email service. So I want to differentiate between the client and the service. First of all, I still have people who are clients and other business associates who come to me today and they say, I couldn't read your message. And I say, why? Oh, I have so much spam in my inbox. I can't deal with it. I'm like, you're you're not using Gmail? Like, what? what, what, Oh, I'm using RCN cable company or Comcast. I'm like, hello? Because the number one thing about email today's speed and finding stuff is Gmail (laughs) I I maybe something, but Gmail offers almost like ninety nine point nine percent gets rid of the crap automatically. That's because presumably there's a hundred trillion messages being sent out at once that they can see exactly who's the bad actor. They pull them out of the system first. For that reason alone, I appreciate it. Once that email gets to my box, I'm currently a user of Inbox. We talked three shows ago about how I'm disappointed that Google is killing that baby with the bathwater and now forcing me into something else because it really works pretty well. But ultimately, I've tried a variety of clients. I don't think, on a personal level, I'm using a 2015 MacBook Pro. I use my iPhone 8 Plus. I don't think I need any more speed to search for stuff. And I search for stuff quite frequently. I I would argue that we've reached the technological point where user interface being good, of course, but there's dozens of clients for that. Speed, I don't really know if that'd be worth 30 bucks a month. That might be worth. Three bucks Well, it's even months.
1: worse. Actually, I was going to put this to people.
0: <laughs> it was a, it was a
1: little bit snobby, wasn't it? they present, you know, the bit when it got you. You need a MacBook Pro to rub it. Uh, um, that if you actually watch the video, Spencer, so you, you, there's only a certain level of P. Of
0: but you understand, like, so if it's an elite thing, then go all the way. Go black card. Go like you must be vetted by you know. Uh, Jason Canis personally be invited in to use this, you know, we pay $10,000 a year, you get a black card because otherwise at a consumer level, the only reason that people I've seen pay money are things, for example, DuckDuckGo, Gabriel Weinberg seems to have broken a model with the search engine against all odds. There are other clients that I've seen where there's unique browsers that do various things, but those are very small circles of people. I think it's, a, it's an un... Uninteresting space on a global scale because most people say, "How much faster do I really need?" Even if it's so a business reason. Just
1: to finish off, Peter, we, we've been a bit nasty to him, but you know, but you still wanted, you still wanted to be an investor,
2: even though we well, I, I wanted to talk with them. I, I didn't,
1: you know. Oh, you just wanted a check.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. So, um. do you think, do you think Jason's going to be a little bit upset that it's not going to be? A, it sounds like it might not be a unicorn, really.
2: I would say it's just too early to say right now. Like I said, it's. Uh, I think the real question is when they open it up. What is that? Um, what does the growth look like once they've taken it out of beta, so to speak, and, and are allowing everyone to sign up for it and are starting to spend money to acquire customers. And, I was going
1: to uh, do my impression of Jason, but I'm not going to do it actually. I'm not going. <laughs> uh,
0: right, go. I would I would be interested to know whether or not they wouldn't just open it up and, for example, allow people on to use it and see what. Who's voting with their wallet? In other words, instead of it being something that stays exclusive, if it's so dramatically life-changing, even at thirty bucks a month, then the product should prove itself by way of how many people subscribe. I think that's definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it's.
3: Uh, well, it's, if it's if it's better for you know corporate email and for people who are you know investing in exchange right now or something like that, then I don't think the the money part is likely to be the. Uh, the issue, people will pay for it if they find value in it. Um, yeah, it's, it's just, you know, who values else. what wow. it offers enough to, to pay.
2: Yeah. And um, I mean, right now there is a learning curve. Um, there's a lot of commands to get the full kind of benefits of the speed. There's a lot of kind of commands and shortcuts and things like that, that you have to you know figure out and get the muscle memory. They actually do a, a, a call with you, like a Zoom, actually mm-hmm. on Zoom. Um, I had one, mine was yesterday afternoon where they onboard you and they walk you through and you do a screen share of your, you know, your uh, client so they can sort of show you all the different stuff. Um, And even, you know, he's like, asked me like, how do you use your email? What's your workflow like? And he's like, okay, like I, you know, you should set it up like this to kind of get the most out of the way way that you do things. That obviously doesn't scale. But I think right now they're looking at it as let's have... Create the best experience possible. We can let's understand, um, you know, how people are using it right now and what they like, what they don't like. Uh, they're very open to feedback, and so I had a bunch of things right off the bat. I was like, "Oh, I wish it did, you know, X, Y, and Z." And he's like, "Cool, send us that. Like, we actually really, you know, this is what we need to hear because there's little things like around your workflow that we hadn't maybe encountered before, other people would care about. And so, this is you know a typical startup process, which is figure this stuff out. And um, if, you, if it really works, then you kind of double down and, and raise more money and, and try to grow it. And if not, then you keep it at a different scale. So they haven't raised a lot of money. They haven't raised, you know, uh, automatic level of money. So I think that um, it doesn't need to be a, a multi-billion dollar business uh, to provide a return to the investors right now to be, you know, a success. Um, I will say if they decide that they want to raise more money and try to grow it, then and go and raise 5 to $10 million, then yeah, the expectations will start to shift. And, um, and you know, I think I always counsel founders is be really careful uh, before you get on the adventure train, um, because, uh, you know, the last stop in the destination may not be one that you uh, intended to go to.
1: True words ever said. Thank you so much, Peter, for joining us. How can people find out more about you and your thoughts, Peter? What's the best ways to find out? Obviously, not Facebook. Obviously. No, not
2: Facebook. You can't find me on Facebook
0: unless it's, it's you exclusively on Facebook Watch. I've installed it in yeah. my bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> in my bedroom. So I look um, forward to, you know, tips are appreciated. But otherwise, uh, at
2: double. <laughs> Uh, so uh, I'm at Twitter uh, P-E-T-E-R-R-O-J-A-S also my personal website is ROJ.AS and then um, uh, I actually have started doing this thing where I do kind of open office hours over Telegram Uh, and so I'm going to do another one of those real soon so if anybody's interested in chatting or bouncing ideas off me or if you're working on something and and, you know want to think it might be something we're interested in, uh, Betaworks is interested in, I'm happy to have that conversation.
1: And I've got to say, um, Peter is one of the more nicer, genuine VCs around. Um, And he means what he said. Obviously, be precious of his time. As long as you're sane and you thought something out, he's always prepared to have a chat with you. Uh, um, Sally, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to, Sally.
3: You can find me at WPFangirl.com. I am at Sally Getch on Twitter. And if you can spell my name, you will find
0: me. I am unique in Google.
1: And Spencer, how can people find out more about you and what you are up to?
0: Help at WPLaunchify.com or just at the same domain, WPLaunchify.com
1: and we'll be back next week probably not on facebook but probably it's going to be on youtube actually folks but i'll keep you updated um we'll be back next week with another great panel where we'll be talking about wordpress and the web in general we'll be back next week folks bye,
0: bye. thanks for listening to wp tonic the podcast that gives you a spoonful of wordpress medicine twice a week